Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings to you, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. It's a privilege for me to be able to speak to you about some of the most powerful statements made by Jesus. My name is Rogers Atwebembire from the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. As you probably already know, we have been dealing with some important series entitled What Did Jesus Really Mean? We have been looking at some of those statements made by Jesus, but beyond what Jesus said, seeking to find out what Jesus really meant by what he said. You will agree with me that Jesus was the most powerful, effective, able speaker or communicator ever known. That during his time on earth, he was not only such a great teacher, but he spoke in parables, used lots of figures of speech, communicated with clarity and compassion to the extent that even the teachers of the law confessed and said, Never before have we had a man speak with such power and authority like Jesus Christ. You may also notice that Jesus, this powerful communicator, made several statements or gave several teachings, some of which have been uh, looked at as very controversial today. That there are certain statements Jesus made in his teaching and preaching, which would almost seem like they are crazy, or maybe even... Uh, controversial in comparison to the other teachings of scripture and sometimes they leave you wondering did Jesus really go wrong in what he was saying or is it possible that there are people today who are misunderstanding the statements of Jesus as clear as they are and of course as you well know misunderstandings have consequences and as you can imagine today we have lots of churches Lots of cultic groups that claim to be preaching for Jesus or teaching what Jesus said but actually misrepresenting him, twisting the meaning of his words and his statements and often resulting into gross error and deception that has led masses astray from biblical truth. So we want to continue looking at this statement. What did Jesus really mean by what he said? And today, I would like to draw your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, and I would like to read Matthew chapter 5, especially beginning from verses 27. Now you may also remember that Matthew chapter 5 is a chapter that deals with Jesus' sermon on the mount, what we call the Beatitudes, Jesus teaching his followers or listeners about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God looks like, and who it is that becomes a candidate of this kingdom, and what life inside that kingdom looks like. He will mention a number of statements like, Blessed are those who do the following, happy are those who do the following, and basically he sets out what we would call the ethos of the kingdom. How men and women who have confessed Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord, ought to understand the kingdom and ought to live with one another in that kingdom, especially in the presence of God. So you come to Matthew chapter 5, 
from verses 27 and listen to what Jesus taught. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So these are the words of Jesus. Powerful, tough, memorable statements indeed. And what makes them especially memorable is the fact that they call us to do something that normally in the natural world would be considered weird, bizarre, crazy. In fact, words like these should come from somebody well known to be a mad person. Jesus is basically calling out people to remove their eyes, to cut off their hands, to go into heaven maimed and disabled, but at least to get there. Now, some of the people who have read these statements have wondered what Jesus really meant by what he said. Is he actually advocating for self-mutilation? Is he saying that people need to start cutting off their arms and legs, removing their eyes, cutting off their ears, maybe even castrating themselves in order to enter the kingdom of God? Is he actually saying, That for you to be a candidate of heaven or to even be assured of eternal life, you must actually cut yourself, cause a lot of pain to your body. What exactly is Jesus talking about? And no doubt throughout the history of the Christian church, a number of people have risen up, read Jesus' statements, and concluded that Jesus indeed meant these words in the most literal sense possible, and they have self-mutilated, or they have mutilated themselves. There is a case in point of one man in church history who castrated himself because he believed that lust was his major sin or challenge, and he would rather go to heaven impotent than remain sane and normal and then be taken into bondage by the sin of lust. So he castrated himself. But is that what really Jesus meant? Well, for starters, and especially looking at the context of the whole passage, it is very clear that while Jesus said those words, that's not actually what he meant. Think about it logically for a moment. If Jesus was meaning that, for instance, if you have the sin of lust, you should remove your eyes so that you will no longer look at a woman, does that mean that blind people do not lust anymore? Are we saying that when you remove your eyes and you are no longer able to look at women, that you will actually not be attracted to them, or you will not lust after them, or you will not sexually desire them? What about when you listen with your ears and you hear those beautiful voices, and you know some of these young ladies, they really have so wonderful voices that when they speak you are like, wow, what an angelic voice. Some of these beautiful women are great singers. And when they lift up their voices in music, oh my goodness, you are left thinking, I I wish I could have her. It might not even be your ears. 
It might be your touch. What if one of these days you give a hug to a young lady? Well, you may be blind and you cannot see her, but surely your hands are going to feel her body, and you are going to find maybe she's figure eight or figure six, and you are going to say, Oh my goodness, what a great figure. Is it possible you could lust after her, even though you are blind and cannot see her? Yes, even blind men fall in love. What about a man with no hands? Supposing he thought that his major weakness was stealing and he decided to cut off his hands so that he will no longer hold things that he has stolen. Would that prevent him from being a thief? Please notice what Jesus has already said before in the passages before where he talks about cutting off your arm or removing your eyes. He has said that you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, Anyone who looks after a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. What Jesus is talking about here is that even before you sin physically, whether with your hands or your legs or your eyes or your ears, before sin manifests itself physically, it has already manifested itself in your heart. So you may not even have hands to steal something, but if you look at something and covet it, or you wish you could have taken your neighbor's property, Jesus says in your heart you are already a thief. So you do not need hands to become a thief. You just need a heart. It is interesting that when the prophet Jeremiah describes the status of a human being's heart, he says that the heart of a man is sinful beyond repair. Who can cure it? In fact, he is actually saying, that not only does sin begin from the heart, but that you orchestrate sin in your thoughts and in your heart, and you execute it even before you do it physically or visibly. So in other words, the reason you are a thief is not because you have hands. The reason you lust after women is not because you have eyes. Sin already dwells in a man's heart, even before it is demonstrated practically or physically. Jesus later would teach, and he would say that what defiles a man is not what comes from outside. What defiles a man, on the contrary, is what comes from within. For out of a man's heart comes evil, like immorality, like lust, like wickedness, like theft, like oh, hating, like gossip. All these evil deeds are already in our hearts, not just in our physical body, in terms of eyes and arms and legs. So clearly, you've, even from the context, one can tell that Jesus is not calling people to mutilate themselves in order for them to go to heaven. And probably you were saying, so if Jesus did not mean that we should cut off our hands, or we should gorge out our eyes, what did he actually mean? In other words, how does a man get rid of sin? How does a man live right in the presence of God, yet in the midst of a sinful world where sin continues to reign, where the devil continues to be aggressive, in fact like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour? How can I live an upright, godly, righteous living or life in such a wicked and sinful society? That is the question at the heart of this passage. Now, you may notice that what Jesus is doing is what we call using graphic language or figures of speech. 
that Jesus, rather than calling us to literally cut off our hands or gorge out our eyes, he's actually using purposefully what we call graphic language to stress how utterly dangerous sin is and how it can lead to eternal condemnation. Jesus is using what in English we call a hyperbole. Now, a hyperbole is a figure of speech that purposefully exaggerates to make a powerful point. In the present case, the hyperbole is used to emphasize the need for drastic action in dealing with sin. So when Jesus talked about gouging out eyes and cutting off arms, he was not literally saying that people should mutilate themselves in order to be holy. He is actually talking about the need to purposefully, drastically deal with the sin so that we will not let sin keep us in bondage. We will not allow us keep us in our former way of life that we used to indulge in before we became Christians. Drastic action in dealing with the sin. And this becomes especially even more important as we live at a time where people are beginning to take advantage of the grace of God. I am sure by now you have heard of what has been called the hyper-grace movement, or what one may call cheap grace, where Christians or people who profess to be believers are now believing that you can actually continue to sin even in your new life as a believer, because after all, grace has come, grace has taken care of your sin, Jesus has forgiven you of your yesterday, of your today, and your tomorrow, and therefore there is no cause for alarm. In fact, some have even gone as far as saying that the law of the Old Testament no longer holds us accountable. After all, we are now saved by grace. And they are quick to quote Romans chapter 6 verses 16, where the Apostle Paul says that we are no longer under the law, but under grace. But what they usually forget is the context in which Paul makes that statement. In fact, Paul in that passage or that verse, he is asking a rhetorical question, where he says that shall we then sin simply because we are no longer under the law, but we are now under grace? And what is Paul's response? What you would expect of a rhetorical question? Certainly, no. God forbid. May it never be. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying, no, that's not what we mean when we say we are under grace. Being under grace is not a license to do whatever we want. Being under grace is not freedom to continue living our former way of life which led to sin. And that's why Paul compares the Christian life as a life of slavery. And he says that just as you were a slave to sin that once mastered you, in your former way of life, where you indulged yourself in impurities and lawlessness that led to more lawlessness, now even more so, you must consider yourself a slave to righteousness, to godliness, to purity. To Jesus Christ who redeemed you from your bondage under the law and who has now established you into his righteousness. What Paul is saying here is that when you become a Christian, you actually desire to live a righteous life. And you are committed and willing to do whatever it takes to live an upright life that even if it means forfeiting the wonderful and comfortable pleasures of this life to stay away from sin, you are willing to do so. 
Now you understand why Jesus would set a very high standard for his followers. When he said that if anyone must come after me, he must deny his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, yes, even deny himself, carry his cross daily and come after me. Jesus has made some of the most powerful and tough statements when it comes to becoming a disciple. And he says that for you to become a true disciple of Jesus, you must live in self-sacrifice. You must deny yourself of the comforts of this life. You must be willing to endure selfless service. You must be willing to endure sacrifice and suffering. You must be willing to follow even when it might mean you losing your life and dying. And that's why he says you must carry your cross daily. The cross is a symbol of not just suffering and sacrifice. It is also a symbol of death. It is a symbol of absolute surrender to the one who has called you. It is a way of living a life that is a kind of road that is one way. That you are on a one-way road and there is no turning back. When we choose to follow Christ Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we get on a road that has no other way to turn back. We got on a road that is forward ever and backward never. We get on a road where the cost of living for Jesus might be very tough, might be pricey and costly, and sometimes it might mean more than suffering, including even death. So when Jesus says that if your hand causes you to steal, you should cut it off, he's not calling you to literally cut off your hand. He is helping you to understand the depth of commitment that you must be willing to put in in order to serve him, in order to follow him selflessly and sacrificially. If you being an upright and righteous man might mean you suffering, might mean you letting go of the things that would normally give you pleasure, Jesus says, so be it. Isn't that what Jesus did in coming into this world so that he could save us? And we told in Philippians chapter 2 that even though Jesus was equal with God, he did not consider equality with God as something to grasp or to fight for. Rather, rolling himself and coming down in the form of a man, living among men, he suffered the suffering that humanity goes through. He suffered even to the point of death on the cross. He was willing to let go of the heavenly comforts. He was willing to say bye-bye to the glories and the worship of angels in heaven. He was willing to come and live in the restrictions and the limitations and the constraints of a sinful world. He was willing to be tempted just like we are. He was willing to endure the sufferings of this sinful world so that he could die on Calvary's cross and through his death you and I may be saved. And in so doing, he sets for us a perfect model of what it means to live righteously and he shows us the price or the cost of living a righteous life. If Jesus was willing to let go of the comforts not only of this life, but actually the comforts of heaven as well. How much more should we be willing to let go, 
to live without the comforts of those of this world so that we can live lives that honor him lives that please him lives that set us apart as disciples lives where we are willing to sacrifice anything including our very lives in order to reach heaven in order to serve Christ in order to live lives that put him at the center that is what Jesus is calling us for that is what Jesus is calling us to be. He says you would rather be in heaven. You would rather arrive in his presence without some parts of your body, but arrive. Rather than indulge your body in the pleasures of this sinful world, in your former way of life that you lived before you became a Christian, and by compromising your life, you end up in eternal hell, when you could have been in heaven, even with some parts of your body missing. So Jesus is saying that as believers, we must be willing to do whatever it takes to stop ourselves from offending God. That for us to walk as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, radical changes are necessary. As disciples of Jesus, we must take immediate, decisive action against anything that would cause us to swerve from the path of truth, that would draw us away from our commitment and allegiance to Christ. As Christians, we are to make no provision for temptation, no provision for sin whatsoever. Every occasion that may lead us into sin must be cut off. Every occasion that might cause us to compromise from what we have believed and known to be true must be cut off. Every atmosphere, every situation that might cause us to deny our master Jesus Christ, to live at a standard below the standard of righteousness that he has set for us, Jesus says it must be cut off. So this is not an issue of gouging out our eyes. It's not an issue of just cutting off our hands or our legs because none of those things can stop us from sinning anyway. It's an issue of living a life of commitment to following Jesus no matter where that road may lead. A commitment to sacrificially letting go, denying ourselves of pleasures of sin so that we can consistently and confidently serve our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews we are told or we are given the example of Moses as an example of what it means to live uprightly for Jesus in a sinful world. That Moses who was a child of the Pharaoh, who should have been an heir on the throne of the Pharaoh, when he looked at God's people who were in suffering and the pleasures of sin that Pharaoh's throne was offering him, he chose to suffer with God's people rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin in Egypt for a season. For Moses, looking forward to the coming glories, the coming cities, the coming blessings and privileges that God's people would have in Christ Jesus, Moses chose to suffer with God's people for a while in light of the coming glory and blessings rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a moment and then end up in eternal hell. 
If Moses understood that truth in the Old Testament, how much more should believers who have been saved by Christ's death and resurrection even more seek to live that kind of life? Moses not only gives us a challenging example on how we can actually live for Jesus, but Moses says it is possible. Jesus assures us that it is possible. The Apostle Paul assures us that as new believers, saved by grace, sustained by grace, we can actually say no to sin. We can say no to temptation. We can cut off everything that so easily entangles us. And as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, we can be able to run the race with perseverance and endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What did Jesus really mean? That we cut off our hands, that we gorge out our eyes in order for us not to sin? No. Did he mean that entrance into heaven requires us mutilating our bodies? No. What Jesus says is that when it comes to living an upright and righteous life, a drastic action, an intentional commitment to live holy lives, even when it might mean denying ourselves of the comforts, the pleasures and the privileges of this life is what is required. Deliberate, diligent followership of Jesus requires us to deny ourselves of those things that would easily tempt us and cause us to compromise from the higher calling that Christ has called us unto, the calling of following Jesus Christ to the very end. I hope you understand what Jesus meant. I hope that you will no longer be deceived by some of those groups that may look Christian, but which actually twist and distort the scriptures to say what Jesus did not say and to mean what Jesus did not mean. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.